if you've been with us through this conversation, then you know we have declared as EPAG, we will inspire people to follow Jesus. Uh, there's nothing more important for our lives now. There's nothing more important for eternity than to follow Jesus. We've talked about exploring, that it's safe to ask questions and express doubts. We understand a lot of people come from a lot of different angles into to exploring Jesus and Christianity and faith so we are creating safe and judgment-free environments. We want to be able to have those conversations with people. Secondly, we've talked about following Jesus, how life is built on daily relationship with Jesus. We want to develop not just people who get saved. We want to develop people who are lifelong followers of Jesus, that, uh, that you don't just start the journey, but you continue the journey. You run the race with Christ. So we're going to create and provide opportunities for every stage on the journey. And then today we're going to focus on the word connect. We are better by doing life together. We're created to live in community, and we connect oftentimes through groups and through teams and through life events. Uh, Bill's already shared here just a few moments ago uh, just some great thought on the importance of doing life together. We're going to expound on that for a few moments, and then before we're done, we're going to spend a few minutes praying for each other today too. It's been a great service already, right? But it's, uh, let's look to the Word and then we'll respond. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for your Word. I pray, speak to us now much greater than I can do on my own. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would we take to heart the things that you're telling us today? And would we, as we've talked about already, put into action, put into practice the things that you are saying to us? For we know, Lord, that only, only, when our life is built on you by hearing your words and putting them into practice, will we stand firm in this life. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the promise of eternity in you. Thank you for being so good to us. We believe you're already answering prayers today, and we trust you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, I am honored that you chose to sit by me today. So you and I both, uh, if you've been around long enough or if you've paid attention long enough or if you've been in the church world long enough, maybe been churched throughout your life, you and I have probably seen a lot of different things play out in the church world. And some of the things that play out in the church world are really good. I want to remind us that even in the midst of a lot of chaos and craziness in our world right now, Jesus is still doing a lot of good stuff all over the world. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's not lose sight of what he's doing in our life, in our community, in our area, in our state, in our nation, and around the world. The flip side of that is we've also, if you've been churched long enough or been around long enough, you've seen some of the bad and some of the ugly that plays out in local churches too. With the advancement of social media, there have been many questionable, questionable behaviors, moral failings, and mismanagements that have played out in public view for public consumption for us to critique. And aside from just the leaders and leadership issues, uh, I've, I've personally known of church fights within church communities among, among the people of the church too. Uh, I'm thankful that I haven't had to experience things like I've heard. I'm thankful that uh, in church communities uh, where we have been blessed to be pastors that we have not experienced things of this nature, but I've heard too many horror stories known friends going through things that have dealt with people who were fighting over power, who were fighting over sentiments and traditions that they didn't want to let go of in some way, 
who fought over personal preferences and what they, what they thought their opinion was and what, that it was right ahead of everyone else's. Perhaps you've been in a church community or maybe you've personally experienced church fights and, uh, or maybe you've heard of some of these conflicts. The truth is news spreads. How many know negativity seems to always spread quicker than positivity? I don't know what it is about human nature. We're encouraged and challenged in Scripture to follow Jesus. We've said already in our conversation that we will follow Jesus and we want to inspire other people to follow Jesus. But we need to be honest. Following Jesus includes also loving one another. Or loving God also includes loving others. We can't separate the two. We can't say we love God and then hate someone else. In fact, Scripture says that. 1 John chapter 4 Verses 19 through 21, we love because Jesus loved us first. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Pretty straightforward. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You can't separate the two. If we love God and we are going to be a Jesus follower, then we also are called to love others. We cannot separate the two. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 near the time of going to the cross, Father, as you and I are one, let them be one. Not just the disciples, but all future believers. Let them be together. Let them be united. May they be centered around Jesus. May they be centered around God's agenda in everything. Psalm 133.1 says it this way, How good and pleasant it is. How good of a thing it is for us. How good of a thing it is for the people around us. How pleasant it is even unto God. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now notice, unity is the word that is used, not uniformity. We're not all the same people. We're not all the same skin color. We're not all the same personalities. We don't have the same giftings. God wasn't looking for us to mimic being the same person. He's looking for unity. That we're all rallied around following Jesus and seeing Jesus get the glory. And if we're all focused on that, we will consider one another and honor one another and serve God in a synergistic way. Now, Jesus did die for the individual soul. We often talk of Christ's work on the cross in a very personal way. Uh, we talk even in altar calls through the years, right, of if you want him to be your personal Lord and Savior. And we talk about songs and the history of the church that talk about Jesus keeping us individually on his mind as he's dying on the cross. Jesus died for our individual souls, but I don't want us to lose the fact that he died so that individual souls would come together, each in God in the same way through him, and all be part of the same body of Christ with the same focus on glorifying Jesus. He didn't just die for one or two, he died for his church. That's all of us. So as the church and as a local church, we are to be one. We are to be united. We're not all the same but we serve the same God, we're following the same Jesus, and we all have the same life purpose of bringing glory to Him. We are dependent upon God. We recognize we need Him, not just for salvation, but every day of our lives. 
We used to talk about how, uh, and, and maybe you've seen this, I'm pretty sure it's circulated on social media. We've talked in, in terms of you need the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues, and I love how one person said it, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> I'm dependent on Him. I need Him every day of my life. Uh, I'm not going to have a good attitude in traffic if I don't have the help of Jesus, right? Uh, I've said before, I'm notorious for being frustrated if slow people are driving in the fast lane. It bothers me. It really does bother. I'm just being honest. I'm confessing. It's okay today. We're alike in these ways, right? This is not uncommon. If it's a fast food drive-thru, it should be fast. And I know all about fast food drive-thrus because my girls are going to turn into chicken nuggets before too long. All the Happy Meals, and you can't go to McDonald's. Okay, we're getting way off subject, but anyway. The point being, we need God every day. We need the help of the Holy Spirit every day. We're following Jesus because we recognize we're dependent on Him, and we're seeking to bring Him glory, and we're seeking to bring attention to His name and to His truth. But Scripture also teaches us that we're interdependent or mutually dependent upon each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we often think of... Uh, the power gifts or the gifts of the Spirit that are on display through different signs or wonders or miracles or verbal words that are given. But listen, listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts, many parts, form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we understand this in the physical body sense, right? We get that if I walked up here and preached and I just looked like one big ear, it'd be kind of strange, right? Okay? One big eyeball. It may be, it may be in Monsters, Inc., but that doesn't mean it's normal, Right? So we understand that the body is made up of many parts, and each part, even though we may not be accurately able to describe what it is, we know that each part serves a purpose. I've always wondered what that focus is for the gallbladder, because it seems like everybody has it taken out these days. But, but we know that every part of the body has a function. Notice what he then says a few verses later. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye, notice this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Do you see this picture? How dare one part of my body would say to the eyes, I don't need you. Well, how would we see? How would we know where to go? How would we be able to get there? How could the head say to the feet, I don't need you? It would be a head just sitting on a table, like an old Mr. Potato Head just sitting on your table, right? No legs, no feet, no way to go anywhere. Every part of the body matters. Every part has a function. We actually need each other. The parts of the body need each other. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I need you. Turn back to the neighbor on the other side and tell him, I need you too. We need each other. So when we talk about dreaming big in this series, and we have a big dream when it comes to a community of believers who are following Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I believe this is the heart of God. And the dream is this, that this local church would continue to be filled with imperfect humans 
We can all agree on that, hopefully. If not, I'll give you an altar call in just a moment. This local church would continue to be filled with imperfect humans, but not people who act like children. Immaturity. But that we would grow in Christ. We'll be imperfect, we're still growing, but we're growing in Christ and maturing and not acting like immature children. That this local church would continue to be full of people not led by personal preferences, and in turn, we would not be easily offended. Boy, it's quiet all of a sudden. Y'all were with me just a minute ago, and now you've dropped off. I would suggest to you today, and and I've I've been in ministry long enough, I have enough friends, and, and you've probably seen the same, that the majority of times when someone leaves a local church, there are exceptions, but a lot of times when people leave a local church, what I see play out often is that people leave over personality and preference issues and not over preaching and doctrine issues. Now, there are times that that's not true. There are times that if somebody's preaching something that doesn't line up with Scripture, you need to run. Okay? And there's plenty of that going on today. But there are plenty of times that what causes someone to leave a local church and go to another local church is somebody made me mad because I didn't get my way. That's the truth. So we need to be a people who are growing up in Christ and we're not dictated by is, is what I want the thing that's happening, is my opinion the, the best that it should be and everybody ought to agree with me, but instead we're not going to do that and we're not going to be easily offended. I tell you, I've seen people through the years get upset over the dumbest things. There, there have been people in, in life and ministry, and I'm sure you've dealt with this, that it wasn't even something somebody said to the other person. It was just the way they looked at them. I'm serious. Or, or man, they walked by me and they shook someone else's hand, but they didn't shake my hand today. Or I didn't get my blueberry donuts today. Which does happen to be true. I didn't get my blueberry donuts. But that's okay. I'm not offended. Not offended. Not offended. People get offended over silly things. That's not what God intends. God doesn't intend that we would live in a way that every little thing's going to just set us off and people shouldn't have to walk around on eggshells in order to keep us comfortable and happy, scared that we're going to go off on somebody. That's not good. That's not healthy. Anybody who's lived in a, even an abusive relationship knows that's not fun. The goal is to not be easily offended. I've said before, if there are two books other than Scripture, I think uh, every believer should read. There are actually probably more than two, but for the sake of this conversation, two. The uh, Bait of Satan by John Bevere and Unoffendable by Bryant Hansen. The whole premise is the enemy wants to divide. The enemy wants to divide. And oftentimes what starts... Uh, is something so minute, so small, so insignificant, but the enemy uses it as an open door to gain a foothold and to bring division between people that causes conflict. And when conflict is dictating the way, it keeps the church from succeeding in the mission of God. There are a lot of churches today, and there have been a lot of churches throughout history, that they're more caught up in the infighting and the, and the debates and the conflicts within than they are trying to get the gospel out and let people know about Jesus. Got to be careful about that. It's our dream that this local church would serve as a sign to the world of the love of God, that people would see, you know what? 
different people with different personalities, with different backgrounds, with different desires, with different whatevers, they can actually love each other. They can actually even like each other. You, you, maybe you've been that person before, right? Well, God told me to love them, but He didn't tell me I had to like them. And I get it. Um, there, there's proof enough in personality tests and the Enneagram to know that there are certain personalities that maybe do kind of rub each other a little differently, right? But that the church would be assigned to the world of the love of God, acting differently, living differently, talking differently than unsaved people in the world around them. That we would be the epitome of John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I don't want to just take too much liberty here, but he didn't say this is how you're going to know, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples if you give enough to missions. Not wrong, but not what he said. Well, by this everyone that you will know that you are my disciples if your church is really massive. My point being, look at what he focuses on. The world is going to see a difference and the world is going to be drawn to Jesus through our love for one another. How many times has the local church, I don't mean this one, I don't mean anyone in particular, but how many times has a local church done a disservice to the witness of Jesus to the world around them because they couldn't get along with each other? That even if we come from broken homes, broken families, and broken lives, we can learn what it means to be healthy and restored. That even if you didn't grow in a way of learning healthy dynamics, that we can learn how to have healthy dynamics in our relationships. Because Christ is working in us, and the Holy Spirit is refining us and shaping us. We don't have to carry. Listen to me. Boy, I'm, I'm getting way off here. There may be some things you need to deal with from the past, but those things from the past do not have to dictate your present and your future. Forgive them. Learn from healthy instead of unhealthy. I'm not saying you didn't go through things. I'm not saying you didn't come from a broken... I believe that those things are happening all over the place these days. But I am telling you that nothing is too big that God can't change us and transform our lives and bring us out of that junk and into a healthier place. You don't have to live like mom and dad. You don't have to live like brother and sister. You don't have to be like three, four generations before you. We can be healed. We can be whole. We can be restored. And we can learn to love other people no matter what has happened to us. No matter what. It's that the local church and our relationships would would follow Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. And it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So do nothing that's trying to draw attention to yourself. Rather, in humility, value others, that we would value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of others. That in our relationships with one another, Scripture teaches us we would have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now this is what Paul said in Philippians about this. He goes on to say that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to cling to, but rather he emptied himself and he came to earth, took on the form of a human being, a servant in human form, and went even unto death, death on a criminal's cross. What does it tell me? 
It tells me if I'm really conscious of others, that I'm willing to even self-sacrifice in order that someone else's needs might be met. I'm willing to draw less attention to me if it helps to draw more attention to the need that's present in someone else. I'm not looking to build my name. I'm not looking to build my brand. I'm not looking to build my type. I'm not looking for people to praise me. I'm looking to honor Jesus, and if I'm honoring Jesus, I'm honoring others, and I'm considering what their needs are, so I will swallow even some suffering along the way if it means that I'm inconvenienced, but someone else's need is met. Jesus died on the cross so that our greatest need could be met. So Paul says in Philippians 2 that we're to have that same mindset. Is that the mindset that's leading our world today? Probably not. A lot of things are self-focused. What's in it for me? How can I gain more followers and likes and reactions? And how can I be seen as this great person? Jesus said to us, and he showed us in his model, and then it's in Scripture that we're not to look out for ourselves. We're to... We're to focus on others. I mean, if anyone should have had the right to demand worship, it was Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so that others could have what they needed. And and Jesus is not even at the moment calling us to die on a cross anywhere. He's just saying, hey... Would you be willing, you, you're, you're blessed, would you be willing to maybe pass a few dollars on to someone else to help them in a time of need? Hey, you're, you're known, would you be willing to not worry about your fame? Would you, would you be conscious of someone else and make sure they're seen and they're known and they're loved and connect them with somebody? We could go on and on and on. It was the picture of the early church. Go read when you get a moment, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, both instances talk about people in the early church of their own free will, not under compulsion, not under force, not under a requirement for membership to the local church, but people in the early church took it upon themselves to sell possessions, to even sell their homes, and to give money to the local church so that needs could be met. I will sacrifice me if it means I can help meet them. So there's potential for conflict between people. We know that. When Jesus is calling us to love one another and carry one another's burdens and do life together, we understand there's potential for conflict. So a lot of people would say, well, that's fine. I'll just not interact with people. I called somebody on the phone not long ago, and um, my wife, Amber, and I are dealing with a situation as, with a relative. And uh, I have found in life that if you, if you constantly have relational conflict, it may be time to look in the mirror. So if Tim's the problem, and Shane's the problem, and Tom's the problem, and Michael's the problem, and Sheila's the problem, they may not be the problem. Because the common denominator in every one of those relationships is whoever's trying to say that, right? So I was on the phone with someone, and I said, you know, this relative, the, the frustration that we have is it seems like this person cannot get along with anybody. Every time they interact with someone, they end up burning the bridge, and they can't seem to get along with everybody. And the person on the phone with me said, uh, yeah, I understand that. I can't always get along with people either. Well, the challenge is that there's this tendency of seeing all the different personalities in the world, seeing all the different perspectives in the world. There's this, this push that kind of tells us, well, you know what, to resolve all of this, I'll just pull away from everybody. 
Since there seems to be so many issues among people, I'll just pull away from everybody. I will disconnect. And what's happening in our culture is we're being pushed to more and more isolation. We're a people who seem to really, truly value our privacy. And I'm not just talking about your information on a cell phone. I'm talking about people, people won't, don't even want to share what's really going on in life, even in the form of a prayer request. Like, hey, I really need you to pray with me, but I don't want to share that because... Well, for a variety of different reasons. And then there's distrust. Our society right now as a whole, I think, is filled with distrust. We are tired of being lied to. We're tired of being deceived. And we feel like that's a common theme in our world right now. So instead of getting into a relationship that really matters and going deeper than the surface, we just pull away. And then we deal with a mental health epidemic that is greater than it's ever been in our country and in the world. And I'm not saying that mental health is all tied to this, but isolation is a big part of it because people pull away from other people and then in not having relationships, they begin to have to deal with the tensions that are already present in them that whether they realize it or not, maybe they've always been there, but now they're quiet in their head and they're starting to wrestle with it. I'm not saying that's everything. There's probably exceptions to the rule, but some of this mental health has to do with being along with yourself. Did we not see that during... Times when things were more locked down that people began to realize, man, I don't like who I am. I didn't realize I had this issue with my spouse. I didn't realize we had this issue in our home. All these things started playing out. So what's what's the tendency is if, well, if I can't get along and there's potential for conflict, I'm just going to avoid it at all costs. But that's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us to grow and learn how to have healthy relational dynamics to resolve conflict in biblical ways, to not go into it assuming we're going to have conflict, but also to recognize that because we're different people and because we're imperfect, there may be moments where we do deal with some things, but if we deal with some things, we're just going to deal with them. And we're going to deal with it in a loving way and a healthy way and in a scriptural way, not running to everybody else about it, but instead we're going to go to the person and talk to them like Scripture teaches us. Boy, I tell you, I could drop a pin right now on this table, and I think you would hear it. That, that's the problem. I, a lot of what I see is, is not that, yeah, there's imperfect people, and yeah, there's going to be potential for trouble, but we don't handle it the right way. So God is teaching us not to isolate, not to just pull away from that potential, but instead we're created to do life in community, to do it together. Genesis, God said of Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, Adam had God, and yet God still said it's not good for Adam to be alone. He needs someone. He needs a helpmate. We understand in that context God gave him a helpmate. But, but it's true in general. It's not good for man to be alone. There are things that rise when that is the case. Each one of us in the body of Christ is gifted in a specific way by God to function as the body together. But the the call is not just to function and just to do the organizational chart and just to do the, the, the ways the ministries function, all that. But it's also a call for us to be a family, the family of God. I mean, we're the people who are going to spend eternity together. Hi. You're stuck with me for eternity. Man, we can't get along with people now and then we're going to spend eternity with them? God intends for us to be together. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says of the early church, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Again, these were different people. Think of the 12 disciples alone. 
One doubted a lot. One spoke too much. Right? The other one was stealing from the pot and ended up taking money to betray Jesus. I mean, did we go down the line? They were all different, right? Different personalities, different way of acting. And yet, they, we, it is seen in Scripture that we can be different people. We can be different personalities. We can have different giftings because God gave us to us that way. And yet, we can be together in one heart and mind. We're worshiping Jesus. We're following Jesus. We're bringing glory to Him. And in doing so, we're also loving and being considerate of each other. Then the scripture even goes a step further. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron. If you've ever been in Royal Rangers or you know anything about camping, you know that if you do it right, you can even rub two sticks together and get fire. There's purpose in togetherness. I once took a, took a piece of, of metal of some kind and I talked about this verse of scripture in Proverbs 27 and how when iron sharpens iron, there's noise and, and sparks can fly sometimes. And I took this grinder to this piece of metal and there were just sparks going everywhere. You ever done that? Sharpen a lawnmower blade. Same principle, right? You hear that loud grinder and you see those sparks flying everywhere. There's potential when iron sharpens iron. There's potential when people come together for there to be some noise, for there to be some conflict, for there to be some difference of opinion. The, the, the thing is not for us to avoid it. The, the thing for us is to come together because there's too much benefit of doing life together in the body of Christ than there is to be isolated. There's so much benefit to doing life together. So we talk about life events. Just on a practical level, when we talk about life events, we talk about celebrating with people who are rejoicing because of great things happening in their life. And we talk about grieving with people who are grieving because they're, they're going through a hard time. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I don't know that we could be more plain. We celebrate, we grieve, but more than anything, we're on the journey together. We're on the journey together. So we, we celebrate new life. We celebrate Lenny Joy with Pastor Cynthia and P. We celebrate new marriages. We celebrate new opportunities, new jobs, new career paths, getting into college. We could go on and on. But then we also are on the journey and we grieve with those who hurt and who mourn a loss. We grieve with people who, who may soon experience loss. Just this week I stood in a nursing home facility with someone and prayed for someone who had no response. There was no, no visible sign in that moment that they were even able to hear what I was saying. And today, praying with that family in our services, just grieving with those who grieve, to, to sit in the emotion that we deal with as human beings, to be on that journey together. And it's not just in those moments, but it's further than that. Hey, how are you doing a few days later, a few months later, a few years later, that, that we're on the journey together so much that we're going to continue to support one another. We're going to pray for one another through this. We're going to get through this together to make sure that we understand from each other. This is not a, a journey for one individual. This is a journey. We're a family. We're a body. We're going to do this together. And then there's the crises and the burdens that come up, and that can all apply. But Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And listen to me. I don't want to minimize prayer, because I do believe that we should be praying for one another. In fact, I think we should be doing that on a regular basis. And if you'd like to expand your prayer list, feel free to put my name on it. I'll take it every day. 
Anything that Jesus can do to help me, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Tell him. You can even tell him, man, I heard that joker preach on Sunday, and he needs help, Lord Jesus. I interacted with that joker, and he had coffee breath. Help him, Lord. I mean, whatever. Whatever you feel led to pray for. But pray for me. I, I, I invite you to put me on the prayer list. Prayer is great. And I hope at least that when we tell people we're going to pray, we pray. I found in my life, and this is not the only way, so don't misunderstand. You can make a note, you can text yourself, you can whatever you got to do to remember these things. But I have also found I want to pray with you right then in that moment. Why not, first of all? Can God not work right in that moment? And second of all, I don't want to walk away and have lied to you unintentionally. Hey, I'm going to be praying for you and I get later and somehow I didn't get it written down somewhere and I didn't intend to but maybe forgot something. Because there's however many hundreds of people here on a Sunday and we talked in the lobby and I was eating a donut. And I hadn't had my second cup of coffee. I don't want to forget that. I do my best to make notes. I do my best to keep track. But, but what if we learn to, to also pray in those moments? And not to minimize prayer, but then I want to go one step further. What does it look like for the body of Christ to journey together in practical ways, too, of helping each other? And I'll be honest, sometimes you just have to do it. You remember the slogan that Nike always talked about years ago, just do it? Sometimes we just have to stop saying, what do you need? Because what I've found is people don't want to be inconsiderate or they think you've got a lot going on, so they never want to honestly answer the question. Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Pull it up online, order groceries, and send it to their doorstep. they got to do something with it or it's all going to go bad. Force them into taking it. Whatever you got to do. But my point is being attentive to those needs in a real and practical way, especially for people that are facing significant battles or people who have endured battles for a long period of time. Support. I'll be honest with you, and I'll I'll admit this, our team would admit this, neither I nor our staff could ever be attentive to every need at one time. If We spend sometimes half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe longer, in our staff meetings just talking about the needs in the church and praying. Because we're so aware of so many different things going on. We could never be attentive to every need at once. The one thing I have been so frustrated about in ministry and I still haven't been able to solve, I cannot be two places at one time. And I'm not into cloning, so that's not an option. Okay? And, And it would be hard for us to share all those needs on Sundays. If I spent all my time standing up here and sharing needs with you, we'd spend the whole time sharing needs. It's just impossible to do all of that and that. But if we connect with each other on a deeper level and our lives together move from surface level to a greater depth, we learn more about each other and we also learn more to trust each other and we also learn more what's going on in the other person's life and we're able to help each other and support each other and pray for each other and meet practical needs. It starts with connecting on a deeper level. Listen, just honest, just honest, honest, honest from a pastoral heart today. If, if you slip in and slip out to church, you'll never have depth in relationship with anybody. If you come in late and leave early, you're never going to have relationship with anybody. It's about depth. When we talk about depth, we're talking about groups and relationships. 
We enjoy connecting with each other on Sundays and Wednesdays in these large group settings, and a lot of wonderful things happen in these moments. Even this morning, a lot of wonderful things have been happening. But, But there is a depth when we get into smaller chunks where we can see and know and love each other. To be seen, to be known, to be loved. Whether you'd like to admit it or not, maybe you're the person who grew up and because of the situation in your life, you had to learn early how to pull up your bootstraps and keep trucking. Maybe you're the oldest sibling, so you've always had to be the second mom or second dad and you've always had to handle a lot. Maybe you're good at spinning all the plates at one time, so you wouldn't say, well, yeah, I don't need to be seen, known, and loved. But the reality is we all as human beings have a need somewhere in there that at some point we're seen, known, and loved. And yeah, that's relationship with Jesus, but it's also relationship with each other. There's a depth that takes place when we come together and we really get to know each other. We get to know each other's story. There's a depth that happens in spiritual growth. We learn from the experience of others. We gain perspective, whether it's of Scripture we're studying together or whether it's of life experiences. We encourage and we motivate one another. Hebrews chapter 10, familiar verses of Scripture, verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not meeting up together, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, uh, this is not to sound pessimistic. This is not to sound prophetic in nature. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is... Uh, I actually think a lot of prophecy in Scripture spoke to what God had already said and called people back to that. But there is some element of prophecy that God can speak about what is coming ahead. I'm not telling you that this is the case, but it's hard to watch what's happening in our world right now and not recognize that there could be some significance in what's taking place. The very geographical location of so much of what is taking place You cannot read Scripture or know anything about latter days in Scripture and not know that that's a significant area of the world. Okay? So, uh, I don't want to sound, again, pessimistic or even, even to say, thus saith the Lord or be prophetic in this nature. But I think there's some encouragement here in Hebrews chapter 10 that we are to encourage one another and even more when we see all of these things taking place. I'll go a step further. Jesus said, do not be surprised when they hate you because they hated me first. Whether we'd like to think it or not, and I don't want to create an us versus them to the point that we become hostile, but we are living in a world where Christianity is becoming less and less popular. And if you don't think so, watch and see what's happening in our world right now because even multiple religions are on a collision course with each other. You can't have more than one religion claiming to be the right way and not eventually have a conflict. I'm going to let that settle in your mind for just a moment. If we say Jesus is the way and someone else says somebody else is the way, there's a problem, right? So there's some things that are on course for some kind of friction, some kind of crossroads, some kind of conflict at some point. It can't just not happen. I think you are going to find that Christians even in America, are going to face more hostility. I don't know. Will we, will we end up underground like China? Will we end up dealing with persecution like places all over Africa? 
I don't know. What I do know is there is a reason the writer of Hebrews was encouraged to tell us that the closer we get to being raptured by Jesus, the more we should be spending time together and encouraging one another. It's not just about starting to follow Jesus. It's also the encouragement and the motivation to keep following Jesus. That when the world says, nah, you need to compromise and it's going to be heavy and persecuting if you're not. And, and the world comes against you and says, it's a stupid thing to believe this way. It's just for the weak-minded that need a crutch. And when the world's coming against you in all sorts of different ways, you're going to need to be able to keep the faith. And keeping the faith is not just you and Jesus, although that is so vitally important that you're walking with Him, but it's also us rallying together, encouraging one another, even more as we see the day approaching, so that we will not give up. In fact, the verse right before that says, Let us, hope to, let us hold to the hope that we have, for He who promises faithful. We're going to need to encourage one another. There's going to be increasing temptation to fall away from God, to give way to fear, to be distracted and divided. We have to come together in Jesus. I'll go one step further that when we talk about groups, we talk about relationships, we talk about depth. It has been a long history in local churches for good reason that we have moments together with people who share life places. So for instance, we have younger children. It's great to be able to connect with other people who are dealing with raising younger, younger children, how they're navigating that, how they're maybe dealing with children who have different needs, special needs, whatever the case. What we never need to do though is create so many silos that we never cross the generations together. Because I believe that there are a lot of misconceptions that people buy into about other generations. And, and as a result, people become afraid or cynical about spending time with someone else who's not in the same place in life. We need to do away with that. For, for, for the younger people that think older people are just going to hit them over the head with a Bible or a stick or tell them to go out and pick their own stick, which is what I had to do when I was a kid... For, for the younger people that think the older people are just going to tell them how wrong they are and judge them in such a malicious way. For the older people that think the young crowd has no passion for Jesus and no work ethic and they don't know anything about life at all. We've got to throw those lies away. Because that's what the devil wants us to believe. Rather, we should be crossing the passion and the wisdom of generations and allowing people to... Iron sharpen iron and let that passion and wisdom grow together. I tell you what you'll find. You'll find that there are some seasoned saints who have been through some things and the only reason they're still standing today is because they can testify to the faithfulness of God. And you'll find that there are some younger people who are actually really passionate about Jesus. That's why that's the generation that to the greatest degree right now is saying, send me to the darkest places on the earth. I will give my life if that's what it means to get the gospel of Jesus somewhere. So don't tell me that we should buy into all of these lies. The reality is we're all trying to follow Jesus, and we're all trying to do it well, and we all need each other. We have a lot to offer each other, and we need to journey together. Last one today, we come together in teams, and I want to share this because I just the, the word I think the Lord put on my heart when, when writing, uh, God has brought us together to be an army. When I say army, some people might get the wrong impression or any kind of military force that, that is aggressive or hostile or some of the pictures, obviously, that we've even seen lately on the news. 
But when I say army, I simply mean a group of people who have said yes to their leader and yes to the leader's agenda. And they're going to march forward together. God has called us and brought us together to be an army of people who are faithful to Jesus, faithful to each other. And in doing so, in locking arms with one another, we're, we're a faithful people that find that because of the work of the Holy Spirit, there's a synergy that's created, and we're able to accomplish more together than we could ever do individually. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Let me pause here for a moment and say... The next part says, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I pray that we are a local church that loves so well that when someone falls down, we'll be the people who help pick them up, not kick them while they're down. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I wonder how many people remember the uh, game, at least for me, it was in the childhood, a game called Red Rover. Uh, for those who may not know, because you're progressed past our maybe stupidity, I, I, don't even, I don't even think it was a safe game. Honestly, we probably shouldn't have been doing it. Looking back, it's kind of like a parent telling the kid to go play in the street. Like, it's probably not the best thing, right? But Red Rover is you'd lock arms with whoever was on your team, and some, you would literally yell across the playground, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Chris right over. And someone would come barreling across the playground trying to bust through the arms and lock, knock them loose. Again, it probably wasn't our best idea. But thank God we all survived, right? I don't necessarily see the breaking of it. I, ne- I see today the army standing locked in arms in Christ. And when we do that, we're going to accomplish more for the Great Commission working together as a team. We're going to see people reach with the gospel. We're also going to see people who are discipled, who grow, who spiritually develop more and more even within the body of Christ. So let's wrap up. We're going to connect. We're better doing life together. We're created to live in community. And we do that oftentimes through groups, through teams, through life experience, through life events. So I'm going to challenge you today. And Bill shared part of this earlier in mid-service, but number one, I'm going to I'm going to challenge you to join a life group. If you haven't already to do this, you say, well, PC, is that it? You, you preached all this message just to give us an a infomercial? I will shamelessly plug these groups until God tells me not to. Because I truly believe everyone needs to be seen, known, and loved. And I believe we do that better as we break into those chunks. We can really learn one another and love one another well. There's a code on the screen. You can also go to our website, epag.church. I want to challenge you to think about in your life. I want you to be praying about this. We'll talk more about it in the future. But I want you to be praying about having a mentor in your life. It's the premise of Paul and Timothy in Scripture, Moses and Joshua in the Old Testament. It's this idea that there's someone further along in life that can help you know how to live for Christ and help you know what to do when you're navigating tough things. And then also having someone on the other side that God uses you to pour into as well. If there's somebody who's lived through, I'll take ministry for example, because I've had these people in my life, have these people in my life. If they can tell me not just what to do, but what not to do, I'd like to know, because I don't enjoy failing. I'd rather things go well. Pretty norm, right? 
So, so if they can speak into my life, not just what to do, but what not to do, if they can share experiences, again, that passion, that wisdom coming through, and then I want to help be someone, I want to help be that to someone else. I, I want to, I, I see, and I forget, I forget, when people talk about 20 years ago, I saw a great meme yesterday, when people talk about 20 years ago, I think of the 1980s. 20 years ago was 2003. I'm, I'm dealing with it right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm processing through. I, I need you to pray for me. I told you that earlier. I forget that, that, <laughs> I forget that people Pastor Cynthia's age think I'm old. So, the flip side of that is, I see, I see people, let's say life, ministry, parenting, marriage, whatever the case, I want to be able to help them. I want them to know the joy of following Jesus, and I want them to know the joy of how Jesus will lead their life. So I want, I want someone further along the way, and I want someone kind of behind me, and I want to be able to, to pour, to receive. Here's that mutual dependence with each other, right? I want you to pray about who's a person in your life that's, that's helping you on the journey, that's walking with you on the journey. Number three, I want you to join a team. If you're not serving in some capacity, you can stop by the hub today in the lobby and you can talk about what opportunities are there. How can I serve? How can I, how can I let the giftings God has put in me be used in this local church to help love on other people? And then lastly, I'm going to ask you to do something in this room before you leave. Would you stand with me today? I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you. But I want you today, before you leave the room, to just take a few moments... And to spend some time with about three or four, maybe even five or six people around you and to pray for each other. We want to be a community. We want to be a people of faith. We want to be a family. Then we should definitely come together in this way. I I want to go ahead and ease everybody's mind. It's easy to come in EPAG any given day or week and not know somebody that you see. So it's okay that in a moment when you break off in groups, if you need to ask what someone's name is, ask. It's all right. No big deal. I, I'm trying to remember all of your names. I'm getting there. I, I'm, the older I get, the more I feel like I've already got early onset something. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm trying. My point is, don't be afraid to ask someone's name and don't be afraid to take a moment and let God work among you. I'm going to pray for you and then I'll encourage you to find a little group and just take a moment to introduce yourself if you don't know each other, to share needs and to pray for one another. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you'll work in these moments right now, just as you did earlier in our time together. I pray, God, you meet needs, do miracles. I pray, God, that you will form relationships and connectivity and fellowship among each and every one of us. I pray, oh God, we will grow more and more together, more and more together. God, we will not look for just surface-level relationship. We will look for depth with you, Jesus, and with each other. May we care, may we love, may we see, may we know, and may we help people be known. God, thank you for that. Now, Father, I pray that you bless and keep this people. You would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance ever be turned in their favor and grant them your peace. Go with us. Keep us and use us as you desire in Jesus' name.